Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. episode, I talk with my friend Ben Malbin, a Portland local, who lost his dad to a sudden heart attack in 2017. Our conversation rages to a wide discussion of goodbyes and traditions and holds a lot of laughter as well as some thought-provoking introspection, the perfect combination of silliness and depth. We had our conversation in a park, a first for the podcast, and our talk is accompanied by some sweet neighborhood sounds like birds and wind and cars and a surprise dog guest visit. I know it's been quite a while since I've posted my last episode. This was recorded in late summer, and here it is midwinter. I blame grad school for this, but I really do hope to continue with the project, even if it's at a slow and plodding pace. It still continues to be something I enjoy doing. So keep your eyes peeled for the next episode. My name is Ben Malbin, and we are in Arbor Lodge Park in the Arbor Lodge neighborhood of Portland, Oregon. Yes, we are. (laughs) And Ben, I know you as a friend, um, but I also know you as a teacher and as an activist and a musician. You do all these great things. Um, Or so I say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I am so grateful that you're willing to record a conversation with me today. I'm grateful to be talking about (laughs) death with you and to be your friend and all those things. Yes. (laughs) I feel like part of our friendship has grown from conversations we've had about death. Yeah. Yes. I'm remembering, uh, we kind of became friends. I think this is right. We became friends, uh, like about a year before my dad died and, I remember right after that happened, immediately thinking like, oh, I need to go talk to Ingrid because she Mm. shares that history of losing a parent. And that is, yeah, now that you say that, that's definitely kind of part of the base of our friendship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel, I've said this before, but I feel like I often feel a kinship with somebody when they've lost 
specifically a parent, but also just someone important in their lives. Yeah. It's like, oh, you get it. Yeah. It's yeah. a, it's not like a fun club, but it's right. like, it's a club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. You know, not everyone's invited. No, 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 no. And we don't really want them to be, no, you know. No. But then, yeah. It's not the best, like, membership dues. Right. <laughs> yeah, totally. it's a, far too expensive, yes. really. Um, great. Well, I, I want to start off our conversation um, with, first of all, naming the fact that this is the first episode I've recorded in a park space, in an outdoor space. Yeah, there's wind in oak trees, it looks like, mm-hmm. and crows, and another bird. It's like a bunch of birds chattering behind us. Yeah. And that, this is a challenge for me, because I'm very nervous that it will be distracting, oh, that yeah. it'll ruin the sound quality, that there's going to be some loud cars going to come by, and everyone's going to hear it, and then they're going to realize she's not a professional podcast. Oh. Like, if there weren't a million things that didn't clue them in beforehand, they're going to realize it now. <laughs> totally. Totally. I love uh, my inner self-critic, too. <laughs> yeah, yes. So, um, but it's a good thing for me to practice, like, sitting with that perfectionism. Mm. I realize yeah. that I want things to be perfect exactly as they are. And I, we just had a great conversation about this before even starting this interview. Yes, about perfectionism. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if you want to name what yeah what for you. Yeah. Per, yeah. Thank you. Great segue. I, <laughs> I, I definitely have thought a lot about perfectionism just in relationship to losing people in my life and kind of how I process those losses. And um, I feel like even what I have been feeling kind of leading up to doing this podcast with you is like, oh, I don't want to do it because I feel like I only want to show up in a way that really honors the people that I've lost Um, specifically my dad, but really everybody. And I only want to do that if I like speak perfect, like say the correct words, you know, deliver it in the correct cadence, um, give a message that like resonates and everyone, you know, would be proud of and everything. So it definitely, um, is something that like I've been reflecting a lot about. Yeah. And I, I just think a lot about how perfectionism is something that like, you know, living in a culture that's very informed by white culture, white supremacy, um, we're given that message kind of at every turn that you should be, there's one right way of doing things and there's one perfect way of doing things and you should really be striving for that as opposed to kind of just accepting things as they come and like um, being present and being in community. So Mm. those are some of the things that I've also been thinking about around like perfectionism and honestly why I've been like hesitant and also why I'm excited to be doing the podcast because I it means a lot to me to kind of live in a way that moves past that way of being is the only way Mm. I mean I so resonate and appreciate that and I it's so helpful to have that named because I think so often I feel like this is one of the barriers to people talking about death in general, not even just with my my project, but, you know, it's like we only want to say good things about those that have died, and then that immediately complicates things when, well, maybe I have a negative feeling or something to express, 
but how do I honor them, but still honor my reality and my relationship with them? Totally. Or, you know, wanting wanting to appear wise, like a spiritual bypassing of wanting to be the person that always has the, like, you know, the enlightened thing to say about death, um, as opposed to just owning, our, like, our humanity and our, our, our not knowing. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that comes from, also from just not having strong culture, from, speaking for myself, not having a super strong culture around talking about death. So not only do I, I think part of why I want to be perfect is because I just don't have any other models to look to as like a way of being around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It, it's amazing, right? Like it's such a simple thing to like, we start with this simple concept of, do I feel comfortable talking about death and having that conversation being recorded? And then suddenly we're talking about white supremacy and culture and, <laughs> and it all comes ability. back to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it is amazing how it's just these little things can be a doorway into like these bigger, deeper conversations. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about, um, if you're open to it, want to hear a little bit about your dad and I guess just your experience with losing him and or just where you're at currently in that space of, of grief with him. Yeah, well, gosh, that's, uh, my dad, um, well, my dad's name was Norman, um, Norman Malvin, Norm, uh, many people knew him as Norm, um, and he was, he was somebody who was, uh, very devoted to his work, worked in law, um, in the workers' rights sector of things. Um, worked for a lot of unions, um, did a lot of work for people, just whoever needed help with um, little things, big things, just incredibly generous uh, in his time and um, spirit and how he laughter. Just, just a really kind of magnanimous and beautiful person who a lot of people just went to for help, for good times, for for everything. So, um, yeah, it's it, losing him, and he died suddenly um, from uh, a heart attack. And um, so a big part of losing him for me is wrapped up in, like, that habit. That was, like, a traumatic experience of, um, you know, being with my mom, who he was married to, um, for 38 years, like, out of town and traveling with her back into town. So, um, for me, like, there's losing him, there's losing him in general, like, what that has been like, and then there's, like, the kind of, you know, it feels like it was, it was incredibly disarming to just lose him, uh, without getting to say goodbye, you know, that, really that was an intense part of it I feel like disarming is a good word and it's an interesting word given the context of these times um, but I, because I think what you're speaking to is like the powerlessness of like we think we have some kind of power control over life and then suddenly we don't and it's gone and there's something very like lethal and 
permanent and finite about that, which is, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge thing to face. And, um, yeah, especially to lose him in that way mm-hmm. is, yeah, a compounded grief, I imagine, of not getting that closure. Which, you know, I've heard people also make the statement, like, what is closure actually? Do as anybody really get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but... Definitely, that really resonates with me, for sure. And you had said maybe at one point in our conversations that, like, he had, like, sort of waves of health issues. And mm-hmm. so, um, do you feel like part of that there was, like, like, a holding your breath or a waiting for it to happen? In some ways, or was there any conversation? Um, my dad talked about death and his dying, you know, at different times. I think partially because he, uh, you know, he struggled. He, he had a heart condition for about, um, I want to say, like, tw- over 20 years, really. Like, he had um, a heart attack um, about, I, I think he had two heart attacks roughly 20 years before he died. Um, so it was always, uh, his, like my sense of his health and was always a little bit unclear because I was nine years old when he had a heart attack, I believe, and then 11. And then, um, when I was 31 is when he died and he had a couple of other issues like several years before that. So it was like often, it was kind of always on the table that like he wasn't well, and it's still interesting to me how, you know, and even though he would say, like, I may not live till I may, you know, he did all the things that probably a lot of parents do or a lot of family members do. And still, it was just such a shock. And I think it was, to me, it was because he was such a, a loud, <laughs> like a loud, large presence in people's lives, like with, again, with laughter and um, conversational, you could hear him from three rooms away, um, always had a lot to say, always like very, um, beautifully intense in his opinions and sharing his love and everything and disagreeing, whatever. Um, so I, his lot, I mean, I think, and I, you know, one thing that I did after he died was, um, call. I did most of the calling of family members and, uh, friends of his, community members who knew him. Um, And it was interesting to me that despite understanding his health condition um, over time, every people were just shocked. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a certain, you know, it's, there's a dissonance there between like understanding somebody's health and then um, Mm -hmm. what it actually is to lose them. Mm -hmm because it happened so suddenly. Yeah. And it's been different. Yeah, it's... And I don't know if now's the moment that we want to go there, but... Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's been different in the sense that, like, I've, in the last uh, couple of years since he's died, I've lost um, a cousin of his um, and then my mom's dad, my grandfather... And in each of those instances, it was clear to me the last time I saw them that that would be the last time that Mm -hmm. I saw them. And one thing that has stood out to me is just that our goodbyes, of course, like my last time with them 
was very, very different because of that. And just kind of in general, the, I guess I would say like tradition or, or maybe more the, the kind of um, practices that I've developed as ways of saying goodbye to my dad and ways of holding him in my life, like both the holding on and letting go and finding the balances there, to me have looked very different because um, I didn't ever get to see him and because I never got to speak to him mm-hmm. um, before he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up such a beautiful point, which is that like, as we move through life, you know, we have all sorts of different goodbyes and, but, you know, specifically our goodbyes to people as they die, like even that it changes as we experience different types of grief and loss. And so like certain experiences then color or provide a new lens for us to think about the next experience that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and to me, I think when there's like a very, sharp loss it really intensifies or like highlights the importance of those Mm. of those relationships with people and like I I recently had a friend I found out a friend of mine died she was an older woman and it yeah it was like kind of again like oh shit I didn't say goodbye to her and not only that like and we weren't extremely close but it was like I shouldn't have lost touch, you know, Mm. like I knew this lesson. I've already learned it. Like stay in touch with people. It's important. You never know when it'll be the last time. Um, But of course we can't do that perfectly all the time everywhere. But I think, yeah, those experiences heighten that. It's like, oh, awareness. Wait, hold on. It's really important that I tell people I love them and that I make space to spend time with them, especially if there's any, you know, like, health or aging or yeah and that people will welcome that like I think of um one of my very close friends uh her mom died about a month before my dad died and she had been in kind of uh she was in a battle with cancer Mm -hmm. over over a number of years but when I saw I did see her you know shortly before she died and um I remember afterwards feeling like I didn't really say what I would have wanted to say. You know, I knew her since college and um, I was close with her, but I think I was, I think I was afraid. I think really for me, it was perfectionism. I was like, what do you say? What do like, and I think it's part of why after my dad died, my brother and I talked about at one point how, we were almost grateful we didn't have the chance to say anything because it would have just never been the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when um, when Shelby died, I said goodbye to her, and I um, I think I told I, I don't remember exactly what I said to her, but uh, I remember afterwards just wishing I had said more. And mm. it make again it makes me think about. Um, my like when my cousin Diane died I was going over and she was of sound mind and I I remember not worrying about just not worrying about it and this was within you know I I think this was only oof I don't know eight or nine months after my dad died so I just wrote her a poem and didn't worry about it and went over and sat on the porch with her and read it aloud to her 
and she heard me and she said she she was an English teacher so she said something about it how it needed a little work or something like that (laughs) (laughs) she said I I remember her pulling her hands apart kind of like like she was pulling something up and she she was going it needs to be fleshed out a little for for a next draft and I was like okay (laughs) last time together (laughs) but of course I appreciated it I love that it was funny Brilliant. Yeah, she she knew what she was doing. It was good. Yeah. Um, but I didn't work. You know, it was a first draft, <laughs> right. and that was that was fine. I wrote it on the way there. I, but it and it was but in retrospect, you know, and I don't. I'm not saying I regret uh, a way that I did or didn't say goodbye to anybody else. But I appreciate that in my you know, in the course of my lifetime, you know, we're all as my friend Jesse says, we're all in our healing all the time and we're all just on this trajectory of like understanding, you know, the next version of each facet of ourselves, you know? So Mm. we're, I'm not worried about doing it right because, you know, sadly I'll probably know a lot more people who die in the next, you know, until I die. (laughs) And then if you outlive me, you'll figure out how to say goodbye to me and then we'll figure it, you know. I'll write you a poem. Write me a poem. Yeah. Make it a good one. Yeah. A song. I would love it. Let's go for a song. (laughs) You should write it. Um, Uh, but yeah, I don't, so anyway, I, that was with Diane and, um, it was probably a year later that my grandfather died, my papa Phil, and he had a long battle with Parkinson's and I kind of was never sure if it would be the last time that I would say goodbye to him. And then it was just clear to me the last time that I was there, um, down in California, uh, several months before he died, since I was about to start my school year. Um, back in the days when we taught in person and, um, and I, you know, I sat in his room the morning before that I was leaving and played guitar and sang a few of his favorite songs with my grandma Judy and my uncle Danny and that was I just knew that was me saying goodbye to him and I hugged him and I kissed him on the cheek and told him you know thank you so much for being my grandfather and a couple other things and it was so it was so difficult but also just the most I wasn't worried I, I, I think again I wasn't worried about um, what I was going to say, I just had to kind of accept that this was whatever I was, I was going to say was going to be just fine. that I mean I think yeah this thread of perfectionism really is woven in our conversation you know this idea that there's so much pressure to get things right um where whereas like in those moments when we're showing up as our authentic selves like that is right no matter what happens like that's all that we can do is 
be our authentic selves. And, yeah. and like people feel that. And my mom says this thing all the time that she loves that I, I love too, which is like, it doesn't matter what I did for a person or what I said to them. It's how I made them feel. And mm. people, we attune to that, you know, like, yeah. it's like I could bl- like babble and say something really eloquent, but it could be inauthentic. It doesn't mean anything. Mm. Or I can like, alternatively like bumble through something but has all the heart in it and and I I heard somewhere once I don't know if I read it or heard it but someone had said that when people are dying really all of our conversations boil down to I love you thank you Mm -hmm. goodbye I'm sorry I forgive you Mm. that's it those are the I mean it's basic yeah everything comes down to that (laughs) Um, and I think too, to realize that like, we are connected to weight. Like we know we do, we do have that deep knowledge of how to be mm. because we know these basic messages or whatever, you know, like we do, I think I worry in my, like a lot of times the way that my perfection shows up is maybe when I'm feeling anxious about things and I worry like, Oh, I don't, I'm not going to have the answer. I'm not going to know, but just like, you know, and there's a lot of thinkers and belief systems and everything that talk about that of like how you the knowledge is there it's always there so to really just trust that and to trust the connections that I do have you know and I have had whether it's like family with individuals in my family or my family's traditions or friendships that are also my family there's so much knowledge that I you know we all have but for for speaking for myself there's so much wisdom that I have Mm -hmm. that I don't really remember that I have all the time Mm. and um and there's a fun big dog now in the podcast which is great I love that such a wise dog yeah that dog knows everything (laughs) only we spoke his language dogs peeing (laughs) oh that's fun um yeah, okay, so that makes me want to ask you about um, tapping into, like, wisdom traditions. And, mm. yeah, I just want to hear about some of the traditions that your family practice and how that's tied into your loss and grief work. Yeah. And or breaking from them. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, I'm like, what, what, what is my family's <laughs> practices and traditions and stuff? I mean, my family, I grew up, my whole family is Jewish and we're kind of in the not really practicing group. I grew up going to like, like some services on like Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah and celebrating different holidays. Like Passover seders are like super important to me. But then like my dad described himself as a devout atheist. And like there were, I feel like every, you know, in any religion, every family kind of finds their own version of what works for them and brings in whatever other traditions they've, you know, gathered or, or whatever. Some, maybe some families are very devout in one particular way of being, and that's fine too. Um, usually. And, uh, yeah. So I think that I have my own personal way, uh, relationship with death based on my family's traditions. I mean, it makes me think about some of the Jewish traditions that like, you know, go back over a great amount of time, including, like, placing a stone at a gravestone, like, 
certainly different prayers, uh, you know, lighting a yard site candle on like the year anniversary of someone's death and at different times, uh, visiting, certainly like visiting the cemetery where someone is buried. Um, there's like a space in the temple often to like commemorate, um, people who die. I think for, in my, in my family, like music is really big. Like most people play an instrument. We all, um, yell songs together. (laughs) So for me, I feel like that is in a lot of ways, like my family's version of prayer is like certainly some particular songs or even, you know, for instance, for my Papa Phil, like to sing this weird song that he loved called the frozen logger. Um, (laughs) Just like my lover was a logger. There's none like him today. If you poured whiskey on it, he'd eat a bale of hay. Like the, wow, it goes on great. for many yes. verses. Yes, great. <laughs> but like to me, and when I bring sing that, the guitar, yeah, man. I know I didn't bring the guitar. <laughs> but I feel like to me, that's a part of my pro- of process of like um, holding on to my Papa Phil and saying goodbye to him, and and so and I would say more so. I mean, to me, this goes back to what I was saying with my dad. Um, not having gotten a chance to say goodbye to him, I feel like, and maybe the fact that he's like a parent or more so than a parent, like someone who helped raise me, you know? And so to me, that loss maybe is more potent. Um, who knows? Uh, to me, it feels that way. And to me, not saying goodbye has all just made me want to really tap into the methods that I have been taught and mm-hmm. have discovered that help me feel connected. So I have this like travel candle that a friend gave me that I kind of bring with me and I have to light, you know, if I ever want to, you know, if I'm in a space where I want to think about him, whether it's like uh, where we scattered his ashes or um, places he loved, San Juan Islands or um, anywhere, anywhere, (laughs) anywhere that means something. And to me, visiting the cemetery is visiting the place where we did scatter his ashes I have some, he collected stone. A lot of people in my family collect stones. I don't know if it's a Jewish thing or maybe that's just like a Portland thing or whatever, (laughs) but he did collect stones. And to me, you know, an example of one way that I've accepted that as like something to do is I brought a candle, my candle, my grief candle. Um, and I had one of his stones, uh, and I was like at, uh, I think it was, I think it was Orcas Island that I was at about a month after he died. And I was just sitting down on the beach where I'd been with him a number of times up there sailing around. And I threw the rock into the water. Um, I let go of the fact that it was like a special rock that maybe I just kind of said, you know what, this belongs here. I took a new rock. I brought it with me. And it's things like that, you know, kind of just accepting that that was what happened. And that was what felt right in the moment instead of planning it out or processing ahead of time what I would do Mm. with myself or anyone else. But that placing a stone at the gravestone I do love, and while I haven't done that, stones uh, have been um, important to me. Mm. Mm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. It's Yeah, um, yeah, there's something just so intimate about the rituals that we hold. And, you know, I I don't come from, like, a specific spiritual tradition in my family. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that I envy often in people is like to be able to tap into that. Like there's a reason why 
so many people hold on to traditions is because it's comforting above all else, I think. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. it helps us feel like, okay, this this is how I make sense of the world. This is how I fit in. When this happens, I do this. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in, like, that's our way of taking care of our community and each other. It's like, like we have a tradition and we do this. And I exist in lineage. I, Ooh, you yeah. know, that's something that, like, there's so much to draw from. Based, whether you have a specific tradition or not, like, you, I come, we all come from people that... Um, whether or not we're related to them by blood. Like, I think of my friends in the same way. Like, I come from the people I surround myself with and have been surrounded with and where they come from. And that's so, so lucky mm. and fortunate mm. to be able to tap into. And maybe not everyone can, you know, and we are, we're all on our own journey within that. And I, I think part of, like, this process called life and becoming a grown-up and... <laughs> and like growing up and old or whatever mm-hmm. yep. uh, is is like factoring in what makes sense for me as an individual like what what things I want to tap into that work for me and what things that I can let go of like your your story about the stone really is such a perfect metaphor for that you know like we get to choose which things we let go of and when and where we let go of them and what that means to us and how Mm. symbolic or not that might be. And we get to choose the things that we carry with us. And yeah. And so I think, you know, I, I look to you as someone that I see it has a very rich tapestry of relationships and not just with people, but relationships with ideas and yeah, practices and places Mm -hmm. and, I appreciate that. Yeah, I didn't realize how uh, how great that uh, is as a metaphor. The stone thing—it's <laughs> like I'm literally letting go of some things and picking up other things to take yeah. take on. That's cool. You could trademark it. You can write a best-selling book. Yeah, great. Ben's stone by stone. Yeah, stones <laughs> with Ben. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, but so I do. I want to come back to the San Juan Islands. Mm. Um, because you're saying your dad loved that space and you yes. spent all our time there. And I have something I've, I've become a lot of, more aware of as I've grown older is my relationship to place. Uh, mem- like memories live in physical places. And it's like not until I go to that place and I'm smelling the smells and I'm seeing the details that often get like washed out by memory. Then I go there. I'm like, oh, that's right. Like this conversation or that day or... And so I think there's something really powerful about our relationship to place. And I was in the San Juan Islands a couple of years ago. And uh, there was this little bookstore and they had all these used books that were like in boxes and in piles, like very disorganized. Like you just had to, it was just for the fun of smelling all the books and like <laughs> sifting through and finding treasures. And I found this book that you had just recommended to me in conversation. I love that. Called I the, love that. The Five Invitations <laughs> <laughs> by Frank Ostaszewski, which is a story. It's a book about grief and loss and like a Zen approach to death and dying. Yes. Um, so anyway, so, so neat, that thread of... Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Everything is connected. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, I'm curious, yeah, what you've, leaned out of that book 
if there are things that resonated with you that you want to like so or, and to give context for the listeners out there oh yeah <laughs> we had originally talked about doing this episode as like a book club kind of mm, yes um, talking about this book specifically yeah I mean to me and I haven't read the whole book um but one of the parts that I at one point more recently I've 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 appro- approached the book um and I I've just found it to be validating at every turn. Yeah, I was resistant for a while after my dad died to, like, read about grief because I just didn't want to read about it. I just wanted to experience what I needed to experience mm-hmm. and process it as I wanted to. And I didn't, I just, yeah. the idea of reading about it was, and still is to a certain degree, just, like, not appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the times that I have dipped into it, and that's one thing I love is that it can just be kind of dipped into mm-hmm. at different points is it's just so validating. Um, and one of the, one of the ones that stood out to me, I'll just read the five invitations, uh, yeah. just to give a little bit of context. Um, but the first invitation that he offers is don't wait. The second invitation is welcome everything, push away nothing. The third invitation is bring your whole self to the experience. The fourth invitation is find a place of rest in the middle of things. And the fifth invitation is cultivate don't know mind, um, which I love and talk about all the time (laughs) as a way of being. um, And and, and that, that one really has stood out to me of just like not worrying about like, what my dad would want or what, you know, I should do in a given circumstance. I think especially in the time, like, uh, around, like, planning a service for him or figuring out, you know, all the logistics that follow um, a person dying. And it's just, like, not really worrying about there being, again, not being one right way. And, like, oh, I don't really know. And I don't know what mm. what he's thinking about now or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just as it says, one of the sections is, like, surrendering to the sacred, whatever that, you know, means to any individual that not knowing is, you know, a beautiful thing again Mm -hmm. in this culture that wants us to know the answer and be clear about the answer and be very clear about the the one way to go about things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that one. And then, and then the other one that, uh, that kind of reminds me of what we're talking about is the welcome everything, push away nothing and trusting yourself in that process for me trusting myself in the process of like welcoming things as they come not being resistant to them Mm -hmm. you know I um I remember my friend Lisa your friend Lisa too Mm. um at one point we were reading something together uh right after my dad died that asked us to think about like where in your life you feel like you're swimming upstream Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most helpful moments kind of in those, in those months after, after he died, because it was very, it, it became clear to me that as soon as I heard those words, the sensation of swimming upstream was something that I was like, whoa, I feel that really strongly mm-hmm. often. So just that kind of welcome everything as it comes and don't be resistant to, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, which isn't a way of being like, you know, don't have a discerning eye or don't, it's more just like be really clear about where, where do I need to be more in integrity and not, um, be resisting like a next way of being. Mm. 
that makes sense. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Absolutely makes sense. Great. Um, <laughs> I wanted to read something yeah. from the book that was from that chapter about welcoming everything, because I think what you're saying and what Frank here said, <laughs> again, like it seems like we have this doorway and then it just opens up these much bigger conversations. So he has this like whole paragraph about like what it is to be human and it's like more than all the like the things that we do like you know we're born and we get a job and go to work and da 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 just that there's something deeper like below the surface of all of that Mm. you know that we're like so busy with all this stuff on the surface and underneath all of that is the motivation to do those things or like the the love or the if you drill down deep enough like into the layers it's like well I do this because I love my family or I do this because I love you know these people in my life or I do this because I feel connected when I do it yeah um yeah I like he writes um he he talks about it as awareness okay he writes Welcome everything, push away nothing, is neither a foolish nor an idealistic invitation. On the contrary, it is eminently practical. Awareness offers a completely different vantage point that doesn't need to push anything away. It isn't separate from anything else. It is, by definition, open, receptive, and responsive. When we engage that aspect of our being, it gives us the possibility to know and understand, and this means we have the possibility to find happiness and I love that. See? So validating. Yes. Yeah, and thank you. I'm glad you said that again. Because, it, yeah, it's like, I I think that's interesting what you're saying about not really wanting to read about stories or mm-hmm. writings about grief. Because I, I think that that taps into a, a big part of the reason why there is so much resistance or, like, it's not talked about a lot. And to be able to name it, I think, is a powerful first step into... Kind of kind of stepping into that journey yeah and trusting the journey yeah and like and that it's okay like we don't always have to talk about it or find words for it yeah we're all having our experience and yeah I think for me too I mean this is kind of like (laughs) when in doubt refer to self-love but I just feel like Mm -hmm. in this case I it's something that I think about a lot is self-love and it's actually a student of mine you know when we were having a discussion about something I don't know like two years ago or something started talking about it and I was like well that's hokey and then I was like wait no that's so important and smart Mm -hmm. and beautiful and I just ever since then in particular have been thinking a lot about self-love and how difficult it is sometimes Mm -hmm. you know even like when I'm feeling confident and feeling like ready to take something on like self-love really really like when I pay attention to how that would show up in a given circumstance um, is hard, is really, really hard. And I think that on the grief journey, it's especially important. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Just to really hold that space for yourself Mm -hmm. and to have people in your life who can help you hold that space is something that uh, I've been really grateful for because I don't think I was as good at it in this Mm -hmm. context until I had folks um, Mm kind of point me in that direction Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Oh my gosh. Yes, Ben, a hundred percent. And yeah, that, I mean, again, it goes back to what we were just reading. Like it's about acceptance. You know, it's like things are as is, they are as they are. And 
it, it, like it starts with us accepting ourselves as we are in that moment and loving that and being okay with that and um, and yeah that's inner work and also like it takes others to help us in that journey yeah and so yeah it's beautiful then <laughs> thank but, you I, I actually invented yeah. self-love, so I appreciate that. Yeah. You heard Trade it here first. Yeah. That in your book about stones. Oh, yeah. God. Stones and self-love. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we've had a great conversation. Yes. But are, are, is there anything else that you really want to say or bring it into the conversation or more that you want to share? <laughs> in this moment, I'm feeling... Uh, great Mm. I'm feeling great in the spirit of like the conversation happened how it happened (laughs) I feel like um in this moment this is where this is where this is what happened to the conversation (laughs) (laughs) words of wisdom oh gosh yeah cool well thank you Mm, thank you absolutely Thanks for doing this. I'm so inspired by this project in general, so I appreciate you mm. waiting around for me to be feel like I'm in a place where I can step into it with you. Oh my gosh. It's, Honestly, I'm just so glad that we're talking about that process because I, I do I I guess if I could say anything in response to that, it's that you're not alone mm. in that. And yeah, yeah to me it's validating. Yeah. Oh my gosh. People like this and they're intrigued, but also they're nervous and hesitant. And it's like all of those things. It could be both at once. Yeah. I just read this amazing quote Mm -hmm. today that was something like, a test of intelligence is the ability to hear two contradictory things and still function. (laughs) Uh (laughs) But I just love that idea of like, we can both and yes and like yeah hold. multiple truths yeah. like holding to me yes I so I so that so resonates with me I feel like every time I think about like what it actually takes to hold multiple truths at the same time mm-hmm. um is like is a skill like mm-hmm. there's so much I mean I feel like for me a lot of things come back to what we teach and in, in schools but like we're so focused on certain state standards and um you know concrete knowledge we do not focus enough on socio-emotional skills like what does it look like to practice non-binary thinking what does it look like to um have children hold multiple truths at the same time and like just work with that instead of just learning how to argue one point as like the skill that we look to like i see i've seen my grief process and many uh, people i know's grief process reflected in or not reflected I should say in a lot of curricula that I see and um I'm curious to imagine what how that could look different Mm. because um it's not working what we're doing right now for the most part some stuff is yeah (laughs) schools are great (laughs) no I agree that's a great question maybe that will be another conversation it's like Mm. grief in schools grief in schools yes yes Mm. and non-binary thinking yes yeah I I love it I love all of it it's it's hard to be human it's a messy complicated yes yes and and like (laughs) we like I just feel like 
again, the authenticity, like showing up authentically is what we do. Yes. Or what we can do. My friend Faith and I said recently, breaking news, the world is a complicated place. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Stop the presses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This just in. Yeah. Life is messy. Yes. Ah, good. Well, thank you for having me on the Reckoning podcast. Oh my gosh. Anytime. Come back anytime. Yeah, sure. Truly, Ben, thank you for braving it. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.